0: Romans chapter 1, as I said, we're going to use this passage again, this introduction, these first uh, seven verses as kind of an outline of sorts for our study that will lead us into Advent season on the person of Jesus Christ, who is Jesus. We've spent a lot of time As we've walked through these first eight chapters of Romans, working through some very important doctrines, much of them focus on what Christ has done in his death and in his resurrection, what we would say the work of Christ on our behalf in order to save us. And I thought a good thing to do is turn our attention for a handful of weeks on not what Jesus has done, though, of course, we'll weave that in as we work through these things, but more on who He is. Who is Jesus? Let's read these first seven verses once again. We'll pray and then we'll jump in. Paul, a servant of Christ Jesus, called to be an apostle, set apart for the gospel of God. obedience of faith for the sake of his name among all the nations, including you who are called to belong to Jesus Christ, to all those in Rome who are loved by God and called to be saints, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Let's ask God's help now with his word. Father, we are in need now of your grace and your peace that comes from you and our Lord Jesus Christ. We're also in need of your gracious help in the preaching of the word, both to do it myself and for everyone to understand and comprehend and apply the things that we see here and the truths we see about Jesus on these pages and so we ask that you would help us now with that. We believe that what we're doing now is, is not just a physical exercise but a spiritual one in which our attempts to do it would be futile apart from your help and your working in us. So help us now God and we know it is one of the great purposes of the work of the Spirit of God to glorify your Son so that all may honor the Son, just as they honor you, Father. And so we pray that your Spirit would help us do that as we study about him in these upcoming weeks. And we ask this in his name. Amen. Who is Jesus? You'll notice in these verses that who Jesus is... Is as important to the gospel as what he did. Who Jesus is is as central to the gospel as what he did. Matter of fact, Paul says that he's a servant of Christ Jesus called to be an apostle set apart for the gospel of God, which he promised beforehand through his prophets and the Holy Scriptures concerning his son, concerning God's son the gospel about him. This is essential for us to understand who Jesus is. And the way I want to break it down for us in using these verses as an outline will go something like this. And each of these headings will have uh, a number of things we have to explain and look at and compare some scriptures and it will take us, you know, I'm assuming until the uh, really Christmas Eve on December 24th, which is a Sunday this year, on Christmas Eve. It's concerning His Son, and so the first heading we're going to see is that Jesus is the Son of God. Or we could say, Jesus is God. It's as simple as that. To say that He is His Son is to say He is God. That is what we will dig into next week and examine that. We must be clear on what that means because there are some different opinions on that in different um, offsets of what Christianity is, and so we need to make sure we're clear on that. But then if you look at the next heading, it's going to lead us into, or the next phrase, it'll lead us into our second heading, this son who was descended from David according to the flesh Because the Son of God became man. He did that through or as a descendant of David himself. And that has implications. And it can be summarized in one title, which, if you look down a little further in verse 4, Jesus Christ or Jesus the Christ, Jesus Messiah. That's what it means. The one being descended from David. So we're going to say that Jesus is Christ, or we could say King. Jesus is King. And the implications and applications of that for us are tremendous. (laughs) Jesus is God. Jesus is King. And then that phrase in verse 4 Jesus Christ, our Lord. Jesus is Lord, Jesus is God, and Jesus is King, and Jesus is Lord, and those, and as we'll work them out, make up the person of who Jesus is, or the essential features of who He is in His being, and what you must know, and what you must believe in order to be considered a Christian. Jesus is God, Jesus is King, and Jesus is Lord. Friends, this is Christianity 101, by the way. These are foundational elements to Christianity. Answering the question and answering it rightly, who is Jesus? This is Evangelism 101. You want to share Jesus with people? You know that part of that is you're telling them who He is because if you don't explain to them who he is then what he does doesn't make a lot of sense it's who he is that makes what he did able to save us from our sins so we're going to spend some time in this working on this and i think it is actually i think it's actually a, a profitable exercise for christians to do you just meditate on who Jesus is. Just think about the person of the Lord Jesus Christ. You know, from time to time we sing that song, Turn Your Eyes Upon Jesus. Right? Look full in His wonderful face, and the things of earth, listen to this, will grow strangely dim in the light of His glory and grace. When you Think about who Jesus is and the implications from that. There's almost a silencing of your noisy soul when you look at the trials of your life and the troubles you're walking through and the seemingly insurmountable obstacles When you look out in this world and what a disaster it is, what an absolute mess it is, but you look around at that through the lens of understanding who Jesus is and there's a silencing in your soul where we would say, Be still and know that I am God. I will be exalted among the nations. They're not exalting me now, but I will be says, Jesus, I will be exalted among the nations. That's going to happen. When we focus on who Christ is, I think it's emboldening of the Christian. When Jesus says, go make disciples of all the nations, oh, they're going to hate you. They're going to persecute you. But you go in my authority, you make disciples of all the nations, and lo, I am with you all the days, even until the end of the age. I'm with you, therefore you needn't fear. When we understand who Jesus is, it's emboldening to the Christian community. And they do begin to see one of the purposes of the church is to bring about the obedience of faith for the sake of His name among all the nations, beginning in the one we, will, we live. I mentioned this yesterday at the men's breakfast, but I was listening to a podcast earlier this week, and they were talking to Dr. Albert Mohler, who is the president of the Southern Baptist Theological Seminary, which is really good conservative a seminary, and Dr. Muller does a lot of good work, and he said, it's time for Christians to be noisy, to be loud. That was the word he used, loud. And he said, I want to clarify, I don't mean to be yelling and screaming, but to be proclaiming things like Jesus as Lord. Do you know that was the main message of the early apostles? The one that you have crucified, God has raised from the dead and has made him both Christ and Lord. In Acts chapter 17, Paul says now he is commanding everyone everywhere to repent. To repent from sin and to do just what we read earlier, confess Jesus as Lord. Gospel, when we understand who Jesus is, it brings on another dimension, I think, to how we evangelize, and what we say, and how we live our lives, and how we structure things, and how we interact with a lost world. The Christian church is not to be silent about who Jesus is. To bring about the obedience of faith, key word, obedience... Obedience of faith for the sake of His name among all the nations. Well, so that's what we're going to begin looking at these weeks. And I think it is profitable. I mentioned a couple reasons that I didn't have my notes, but let me give you some other reasons now. It's profitable to meditate on the person of Jesus because true Christians love Jesus And therefore, true Christians love meditating on who He is. And as we meditate on who He is and learn more about Him, we love Him more and more. That's how it works. True Christians love Jesus and the more they know about Him, the more they love Him. Which really means... The longer a person is a true Christian, the more their love for Jesus should be growing. I love what Peter says in 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 8. He says, and I didn't put slides together, so I'm going to look up there out of habit, but I just re- realized I forgot to do my slides today. So listen carefully. He says, though you have not seen him, and he's talking about Jesus. Though you have not seen him, you love him. Though you do not now see him, you believe in him and rejoice with joy that is inexpressible and filled with glory. Just because we haven't seen Jesus doesn't mean we don't love him. I love how Peter just takes for granted that fact, writing to that congregation, those people. Though you don't now see him, you love him. You love him. Oh, Peter might say, I understand that sometimes your actions don't reveal your love for him, just like my actions didn't always reveal my true love for him. But you love him and you rejoice in him. That's a mark of a true Christian. Do you know that? That's a mark of a true Christian. How they feel about Jesus. <laughs> It's so central to what we are as Christian people. We love Jesus, and so we love knowing about Him and learning about Him. True Christianity isn't a religion of knowledge only. We've said this many times. It's a religion of love-based relationship, specifically with God, yes, the triune God, but specifically through His Son, Jesus in which we are in this love-based relationship that is mutual, by the way. He loves us and we love Him. That's why we learned in Romans 8, all things work together for the good of those who love God and are called according to His purpose. And when you truly love someone, it isn't just that you want to know some facts about them. It isn't just that you want to know what they've done for you or can give to you. The basis of the love should be who He is, you see. They love Jesus Christ. Sometimes we think about what would drive a martyr, a Christian who is proclaiming Christ or out on the mission field, drive them to go all the way to dying for for their faith in such a, a dramatic and painful way. And might I offer the suggestion that it isn't just because they know they're going to heaven afterwards. Might I offer the suggestion it is because they love Jesus and are willing to lay down their life for the sake of His name among the nations. The sake of His name, I'm willing to die for the sake of the glory of the name of Jesus. It's love. We love Jesus and therefore we want to know Who he is. And preachers should love preaching about Jesus. Preachers should love preaching about Jesus and somehow proclaiming Christ in every message, in every Sunday school lesson, whether you're in the old or the new. Where's Christ? Because Paul says, Even in the Old Testament, verses 1 and 2, the gospel of God which He promised beforehand through His prophets and the Holy Scriptures, the gospels in the Old Testament. So no matter where you are, you're proclaiming, no matter what passage you're teaching, you're Christ-centered. I heard about a pulpit once. I thought this was cool and it had engraved on it. Uh the quotation from John's Gospel, chapter 11, when the the Gentiles started to come to Jesus, which it wasn't time for that to happen yet because Christ hadn't gone to the cross. And this was right at the end of Jesus' ministry. And they came up to Philip, and you remember what they said? They said, Sirs, we wish to see Jesus. I heard about this pulpit that in it was engraved, Sirs, we wish to see Jesus, just so that whoever was preaching from the pulpit knew their people wanted to hear about Christ, get to Jesus Christ. There is something that happens in the hearts of true believers when they are hearing just the pureness of the person and the work of Jesus Christ for them. He is the centerpiece of our faith and we love Him. Secondly, we need to meditate on Jesus, who Jesus is because believing rightly about who Jesus is is essential to the gospel. It's foundational and it's fundamental. In other words, you cannot be saved unless you believe rightly both who Jesus is and then what Jesus did and have those two things right. Otherwise, you don't have the gospel. If you lose one or the other of those, you don't have the gospel. There's only one gospel of God. And it contains information and proclamation about who Jesus is and what Jesus did. These are fundamentals to our faith. Thankfully, the Bible tells us clearly who Jesus is. So being right in this area is not extremely difficult. The Bible is clear about who Jesus is, and so we need to simply submit to what the Bible teaches us about who Jesus is. John chapter 20, verses 30 and 31 says this, Now Jesus did many other signs in the presence of the disciples, which are not written in this book, but these are written, listen carefully this now, these are written so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing you may have life in His name. He didn't even mention specifically the work of Christ here, which is the cross. However, that's, that is worked out of those two things. He said, I want, you, I want you to see these signs so that you believe that Jesus is the Christ and the Son of God. And that by believing, you see... That by believing, you will have life in His name. You must believe rightly about who He is in order to have saving life in Him. The person of Christ is fundamental to our faith. It is not an area of doctrine in which we can politely agree to disagree. If you don't believe rightly about who Jesus is, you can't be called a Christian. You get your Christian ID card removed from you, you see. You can't claim to be a Christian. Third, we need to be clear on who Jesus is because the world is not. We need to be clear on who Jesus is because the world is not clear about who Jesus is. And unfortunately, some professing Christians and Christian groups and Christian circles are not clear on it either. We need to be clear on who Jesus is because the world is not. Probably the most important question Jesus asked his disciples is this one recorded in Matthew 16. Who do you say that I am? Who do you say that I am? And interestingly, in Matthew 16, it was only after that that they came to the right conclusion. Remember, Peter said, we believe that you are uh, the Christ, the Son of the living God. And immediately after that, Jesus begins to show them then what he must do. See, they had to come to the proper understanding of who he was, and then he can begin explaining what he did. See that? Who do you say that I am? We need to be clear on this as the church, because many are not. I remember going to a synagogue for a project years ago when we lived in Rockford, and um, it was kind of an interfaith day. And I was taking a world religion class at the time, and so part of a project was go into these different uh, houses of worship and uh, interview some of the people there. That day, I went into a synagogue and a a mosque that was in town, really interesting things. But I asked the, Jew, the Jewish, I'm assuming he was a rabbi, some sort of leader there at the church that was there talking to everybody that came in. And I asked him a question that I could tell irritated him. But I, I asked him, who was Jesus? And he said, well, Jesus was a Jewish man living in Israel during the first century who violated Roman law and was crucified for it. That's it. Friends, that's a common belief among all Jewish people to this day, even the ones we're praying for living in Israel. You understand that? These are not our brothers and sisters in Christ. These are not most of them people going to be in the kingdom with us all. This is one of the nations in rebellion against God. Psalm 2, standing with their foothold against God and against His anointed, His Messiah, saying, let us burst their bonds apart. Cast them from us. It's a terrifying thing. So much so among the Jewish people of Jesus' day, He said, it's going to be more bearable on the day of judgment for Sodom and Gomorrah than for you Jewish men standing in front of me right now, you descendants of Abraham. Islam, interestingly, has a higher view of Jesus than Jewish people. Islam believes that Jesus was a prophet of God, probably the, mo- the second most important prophet of God under Muhammad, Muhammad. He is the servant of God and will one day return to prepare the way Tell everybody believe in Muhammad. Mormons believe that Jesus is one of God's spirit sons whom the Father conceived with a celestial mother along with the devil and many others. He is not one with God. He is not in His essence God. He is a created being. Therefore, friends, understand, I don't care how nice Mormon people can be or how righteous they can live on outwardly. I don't care that they call themselves Christians or they give some acknowledgement to our scriptures. If they don't believe rightly about Jesus, they don't believe the gospel of God. They believe another gospel, a false one, a damning one, that's going to be even further propelled in our community as they're building their temple. 30-second drive from our building. Jehovah's Witnesses believe something similar. Jesus was a created being. They are really descendants of Arius way back in the early church who believed that there was a time when the sun was not. In other words, there was a time when the Son did not exist. Again, brought into existence. Now the highest and the greatest of beings is this Jesus, but a created being nonetheless. Again, it's the false gospel. By the way, I was in Martin Hall a few months ago, and up, I was just doing some cleaning in there, and sometimes some Bibles are left on that shelf in there, and I'm putting away some Bibles, and I came across... The New World Translation Bible, which is the Bible of the Jehovah's Witnesses. And uh, just, to clar- just to clarify, that, I opened up John chapter one, verse one. Of course, John chapter one verse one, in, the, in our Bible says, "In the beginning was a word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God,. The Word becomes flesh becomes Jesus." In this translation, you can always find this. it says, "In the beginning was a word, Word was with God, and the Word was a God." you see. Insert that little indefinite pronoun there, or whatever it is, indefinite article, rather. So, that probably came from the youth group, so check your kids' Bibles, (laughs) please, because we're not trying to be about grooming heretics in our congregation. (laughs) There are many other views of Jesus, very common ones, and I could not help but I, had, I couldn't resist the temptation, but to quote some of these for you from an article I came across that Kevin Day Young wrote a number of years ago in answering the question from Matthew 16, who is Jesus? This is so good that I, I couldn't pass it up, okay? So there's a number, listen to this. Who is Jesus? Well, there's Republican Jesus, who is against tax increases and in activist judges and for family values and owning firearms, There's Democrat Jesus, who is against Wall Street and Walmart, and for reducing our carbon footprint and spending other people's money. There's Therapist Jesus, who helps us cope with life's problems, heals our past, tells us how valuable we are, and not to be so hard on ourselves. There's Starbucks Jesus, who drinks fair trade coffee, loves spiritual conversations, drives a hybrid, and goes to film festivals. There's open-minded Jesus who loves everyone all the time, no matter what, except for people who are not as open-minded as you. There's touchdown Jesus who helps athletes run faster and jump higher than non-Christians and determines the outcomes of Super Bowls. There's gentle Jesus who was meek and mild with high cheekbones, flowing hair, and walks around barefoot wearing a sash and looks German. There's hippie Jesus who teaches everyone to give peace a chance. Imagine a world without religion and helps us remember all you need is love. And of course, there's yuppie Jesus who encourages us to reach our full potential, reach for the stars and buy a boat. (laughs) And there's spirituality Jesus who hates religion, churches, pastors, priests, and doctrines. He wants us to find the God within and listening to ambiguously spiritual music. One more, I got to do it. There's boyfriend Jesus who wraps his arms around us as we sing about his intoxicating love in our secret place. (laughs) Well, friends, none of those are Jesus. That's not who he is and we need to be clear on it because the world isn't and many Christians aren't either. Fourthly, you need to be clear about who Jesus is because now listen to this. It is Jesus you are trusting to save you from your sins. It is in Jesus, not just about Him, but you're trusting in Him to do what He has promised to do for you. Understanding who he is then will help build your faith in the one who has promised to do these things for you. You see, I think one of the biggest misconceptions, and it happens a lot, a lot of times, and we've talked about this before, especially in children and kids that are growing up in church, one of the biggest misconceptions about the Christian faith is that it is a set of, set of facts these truth facts, and it's assenting to these. It's like just kind of, I believe that, which is what saves a person. Friends, there's no set of facts that saves anyone. It's Jesus that saves people. And when we are presenting the gospel, we're saying, here is who Jesus is, this is what He did, Now trust Him. Put your faith in Him to do what He has promised to do. You shall name Him Jesus, the angel said, for He will save His people from their sins. He will. Not just the facts about Him. Not a doctrinal statement. Jesus saves His people from Their sins. Knowing and believing in who he is then is essential to having faith in him and his ability to save you. Jesus said, I am the resurrection and the life. Whoever believes in me, though he die, yet shall he live. And everyone who lives and believes in me shall never die. Do you believe this? He asked Do you trust that that's truth? I mean, what a profound statement. You want resurrection in life? Because you're all going to die. Everyone in this room is going to die. You You want life? You want resurrection? I'm it, says Jesus. What a profound statement. That is... The audacity of someone to say something like that. Who is this one that says, I am the life? See, you see, he's none other than the eternal son of God, the one in whom and from whom all life proceeds, you see. He is the life giver. We need to know who he is in order to trust in him, and the promises He makes. Do you know in Romans 10, verse 13, it says, Everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. In other words, picture what He's saying there. A person has come to the point and they say, I want to be saved. Okay? Here's Jesus. What does Paul mean by Lord? We explain that. Here is Jesus, the Son of God, the Messiah, the Lord of all. What did he do? He lived a perfect life. He died on the cross. He rose again from the dead. And he promises to give life and salvation and forgiveness and righteousness to everyone who calls on him. Then what is the response of the person? Lord Jesus, save me from my sins. Lord Jesus, fulfill your promises to me. Lord Jesus, give me your spirit. Lord Jesus, make me to be born again. Lord Jesus, remember me when I come into your kingdom. Remember me. You crying out to Him, you see, that's what salvation is. We call on the name of the Lord. We're putting our trust, we're staking it all on who He is and what He has done for us. Real faith then says, I have come to understand who you are, Jesus and I have come to understand what you did for me. And I believe in you. I trust you, Jesus. Save me from my sins. It's, it is literally as simple as that. But we have to know who he is and what he did. Fourthly, we want to be right about who Jesus is because we want Jesus to receive all the glory and honor to his name. And as we learn who He is, we find that He is worthy of all the glory. G- J- Jesus Himself said that the Father designed it so that the Son would be honored just as the Father is honored. In Colossians chapter 1, verse 18, Paul says that He that is Jesus is the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in everything... He might be preeminent. When we understand who Jesus is, He takes the preeminence. Over what? Over everything then. Christians that understand who Jesus is, their lives begin to change as they restructure and reorder their lives under this preeminent One who is over all who is the head of His body, the church. And for this church, do we understand that Jesus is the preeminent one? Maybe we need to remind ourselves of who He is. I am not the preeminent one. No other leader here is the preeminent one. No other member here is the preeminent one. This church continues... Even if I'm not here, like last week, as I was laying on my bathroom floor praying for the rapture, (laughs) it wasn't very spiritual but there were all sorts of prayers being lifted up to God. This church continued and worshiped because Jesus was here. In his people. Leading his people in worship. The preeminent one, the Spirit was in the hearts of his people glorifying Christ. Renewing faith. Maybe bringing new faith in Jesus. New affections for him. Maybe learning things that he would want you to stop doing and start doing something new. To be obedient to him. In the church, Jesus is the preeminent one. That's why I'll leave us with this last one. Fifthly, we need to be clear about the person of Jesus because it is He who controls, directs, governs, and has the authority over every area of our lives. When we know who Jesus is, that He is God, that He is King, and that He is Lord... We understand then that we need to order our entire lives under his authority. Jesus came to his disciples and said this, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. I mean, that really means, for instance, you should be able to read through the gospel of Matthew. Just, let's just take Matthew as an example. I believe all of the word of God is Jesus' word. I believe it's all commanding us to do things. But we should specifically, maybe in some ways, you read through Matthew's gospel. And in Matthew's mind, as he's recording all those things that Jesus told his disciples to do or not to do or how to think or whatever it would be, that there is a sense in which because of Jesus' is who he is... Your life should be starting to reflect and progressively reflecting the teachings of Jesus Christ. Because, friends, we are the, the centrality of the gospel is Jesus. It's who he is and what he did. And, and one of the central features of being a Christian is that you live as he lived, just as we studied in our small group Wednesday night. If you say you're in him, you ought to walk as he walked. Our lives become. Christ-centered, Christ-honoring, Christ-obeying. Friends, in these upcoming weeks, let's give our hearts and minds and attention to this essential question, Who is Jesus? We'll see from Scripture that Jesus is God and Jesus is King and Jesus is Lord. Let's pray.